Thank you for listening to sermon podcasts from the Anglican Church Noosa. We are looking at some classic psalms for our summer chill series this year, and this sermon is on Psalm 51, and the preacher is Chris Johnson. Psalm 51, which can be found in your pew Bibles on page 566. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justify when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Oh, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me be me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressions your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifice of the righteous. In burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Together uh, on a day, but in a beautiful air-conditioned church. And uh, how appropriate that we're calling our series Summer Chill. So I hope we feel nicely chilled physically, but I especially want us to feel chilled spiritually as we look into the psalms Uh, so psalm 51 david's penitential psalm as he deals with sin and guilt what do we think about guilt in the 21st century i would suggest that mostly we try and deny it or at least minimize it blame someone else we're getting to that (laughs) Um, that's one of the things people do, isn't it? Yeah, it's not my fault. Look somewhere else. I hear other things like um, 
you just have to eliminate self-talk negative self-talk that's the problem get rid of the negative self-talk or it's okay to have needs or you have to live out your truth you heard that one phrases people use to try and handle their guilt I think there's at least three ways I want to highlight as we begin. Firstly, I think people sometimes rely on their past good deeds. So they acknowledge they've done something wrong, but then they tell themselves, look at all the other good things I've done. And surely that cancels it out and I should be able to move on. Another way people handle guilt is to blame their social circumstances. So it's not my fault, it's my upbringing. My parents failed me. My society failed me. I don't owe anyone anything. I don't care. And they behave in that sort of way. And there's an increasing number of people like that. A third approach is the old spiritual furphy, the devil made me do it. You heard that one? Might sound appealing because it's religious, but the Bible in the end doesn't give the devil that much credit. And certainly not in Psalm 51. So let's turn to the psalm and see how David handled his guilt. What did he do? Well, four headings I want to use today to look at the psalm. He firstly confesses his sin. He takes full responsibility for it. That's in verses 3 to 6. He then petitions God to forgive him and cleanse him. And we see a number of verses throughout the psalm do that. Uh, thirdly, he commits himself to witness. Uh, that's in verse 13, where he says he want to, wants to lead other sinners to, to God. Uh, committed to ministry. Within his forgiveness, he wants to minister. And then uh, the fourth point, he worships the Lord. He asks the Lord to give him a contrite heart, a mouthful of praise, and burnt offerings in the temple, which will be acceptable to God. Uh, and so this is the way David approaches it, and there's a lot for us to but first, a little context. The introduction to the psalm makes it clear that this is David's prayer after the prophet Nathan revealed his sin against Bathsheba. I think most of you know the story, but let me refresh your memory. David's out in the roof, on the roof one day and he sees Bathsheba bathing. He's overcome with desire and orders her to be brought to the palace. He commits adultery. Bathsheba gets pregnant. Serious as that is, it gets worse. He, he then seeks to cover his tracks. And so Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, is ordered uh, back from the battlefield uh, in order to go home and to be seen to be at home at the time when she would have been pregnant. But Uriah is such an honourable man, he will not go into his house and sleep with his wife while all his uh, soldier mates are out there on the battlefield. Uh, he refuses. And so David orders him back to the front to be placed in a position where he'll surely be killed by the enemy and of course that's what happens. So in one hideous narrative, David breaks at least five of the Ten Commandments. Adultery, murder, false testimony, coveting and idolatry. David's sin is great, his guilt is great. And it's obvious from this psalm he does feel the full burden of it. So how does he deal with it? Well, firstly, he fully acknowledges it. He confesses it. You notice that in verse 3? For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. 
Verse 4, you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He accepts that he sits under God's judgment quite justly and rightly. He doesn't try and justify himself. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't blame anyone else. He doesn't recite his good deeds, trying to make out that I'm really a good person. It's just I had this little lapse. No, no. He doesn't uh, do that. He doesn't blame his social circumstances. He doesn't say, look, I was the youngest in my family and my brothers were always putting me down. I was always left out and I was the last. And, you know, it's not my fault. Finally, he didn't blame the devil. There's no mention of the devil in the psalm, is there? David fully acknowledges his sin. And what's more, he recognises that it's primarily a sin against God. Did you notice that? Did you notice what's not in the psalm? Uh, that there's nothing mentioned about Bathsheba or Uriah. David sees this as a sin against God. Um, he recognises that all sin, uh, sin against God, sin against uh, fellow human beings, is in the end, comes back to God. It's breaking God's law. It's showing disregard for God's great concern for people that he has written into his law. And so it's a sin against God. Verse 4, he says, Against you, you only have I sinned, what is evil in your sight. But next, David takes us even one step further in understanding the depths of his sin. In verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Here is as clear a statement of original sin that you will as you'll find anywhere in the Bible. David recognises that he's sinful by nature. His sin against Bathsheba and Uriah were not one-off aberrations out of character. You know, like a, a barrister might argue in a court of law. Yes, this was a one-off, but he's a good character. You know, go light on him, judge. No, David doesn't try that, that trick. He recognises that these acts that he's committed are simply an extreme expression of the flawed creature that he is by nature. Some people may want to argue that original sin gives us an excuse. You know, how can we be held accountable if we're born with sinful nature? Well, David doesn't use that excuse. He doesn't blame Adam. He doesn't blame his parents. His understanding of his sinful nature actually takes him deeper into his personal responsibility. And so you see that through the psalm, verses 1 and 3, he says, uh, he talks about my transgressions, my iniquity in verse 2, my sin. I have done what is evil in your sight, verse 4. So recognising his sin is against God, recognising his sinful nature, his inability to help himself, he looks to God for a solution. He looks to God to forgive his guilt and to cleanse him and set him free. So that's the first step, confession at the deepest level. Secondly, petition. He petitions God uh, in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. There is a threefold appeal here to God's mercy, to God's unfailing love, 
and to God's great compassion. And this is covenant language. This is appealing to God and his provision for sin within the covenant. This is about finding forgiveness because of the character of God and the covenant relationship that he wants to have with his people. Uh, And in that covenant, it's a provision to justify his people and to forgive them. How different is that from the ungodly, all too popular, jump to self-justification that we see in our world uh, today? This is where people only think at a human level and just want to shut God out. So anything will do, just help me to get rid of these guilt feelings quick. Seems to be the approach. David, on the other hand, knows that the only way to deal with sin and guilt is to take it to God. And the amazing thing, you know, is that God doesn't uh, forgive reluctantly or partially. He actually cleanses totally. And doesn't dare to ask in verse 2. He says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You see, David views himself as a soiled garment that needs an absolute and thorough washing so it'll be uh, clean, totally clean. Uh, similar to this lovely illustration we've already heard uh, this morning for the children. J. John is uh, an English evangelist and a bit of a comedian as well. I think he does stand-up gigs as well as his evangelism and combines the two. How many have heard of J. John? Yeah, a few people. Uh, Anyway, uh, in his testimony, he tells how he became a Christian at uni, how he explored the claims of Christ and then came to a point where he committed his life to Christ. And he went home and told his mother, he said, Mum, I've become a Christian. And his mother was shocked. She said, oh no, they've brainwashed you. And, and his comment was, well, little did my mother know that my brain needed a good wash. <laughs> we need to be washed. And David continues with that image uh, there in verse 7 when he says, Wash me with hyssop and I will be clean. Hyssop was used for the cleansing of lepers. Leprosy eats away at the body and to be cleansed from it would be the most wonderful healing, wouldn't it? I imagine Jesus restoring hands and feet and arms and legs. Total restoration. Just as unbelievable, isn't it? It would be quite incredible. To have that touch from Jesus. Well, David couldn't appreciate that fully, of course, because he didn't know Jesus yet. But he did have a strong sense that if God was in the process, it would be a total cleansing, a total healing, a total restoration. In the second part of verse 7, David says, Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. What a beautiful image of complete and total restoration. Like a fresh downpour of powder snow. Absolute purity. Of course, we know that that sort of status before God of absolute purity can only come because of the finished work of Christ. He takes all of our sin when he died on the cross and that leaves us completely clean. Now, when people experience that complete cleansing, of course, there is what? Joy. And that comes out in the psalm. Verse 8 talks about joy and gladness being restored. Uh, Verse 10 talks about being renewed with a steadfast spirit. Verse 11 is a petition to continue to know God's presence and the work of his Holy Spirit in one's life. Uh, Verse 12 returns to that theme of joy. 
Uh, so David wants to know the joy of God's salvation and to have a willing spirit uh, to go on obeying God. My friends, only complete cleansing can produce that sort of experience. Jesus talked about being born again. Paul talks about being baptised into Christ's death and dying to sin. It's a completely new start. Where the world is content with a patch-up job, uh, the gospel offers us complete cleansing and a new life in Christ. And the rest of the psalm really goes on to uh, give us insight into what that new life in Christ looks like. And for David, it was simply a new life in God. For us, it's about being in Christ, isn't it? The new life we have in him. Uh, but it involves both witness and worship. And so verse 13, it's about witness. David says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. We have a wonderful opportunity uh, to do that coming up in term two when we're running Alpha again after Easter. This is a great way for people to explore the Christian faith and find their way back to God. It's about people finding this complete cleansing, being set free from sin and guilt, finding the joy and gladness of a relationship with God. Would you like that for your friends? Uh, please be praying about and thinking now about uh, the people you know and ask God to give them soft hearts, open hearts, uh, to come and receive an invitation to Alpha. Well, David knows that the blessings, all those blessings uh, of joy, of a relationship with God, uh, come through repentance and faith. And he wants to teach transgressors God's ways to bring them to that same experience of cleansing and joy of having sins forgiven. Another sign of that repentance and that faith. And so the last part of the psalm, verse 15, David says, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. In uh, verses 16, 17 and 19, we get a right understanding of the Jewish sacrificial system in the tabernacle. And I'm only going to just touch upon it, but basically it's saying when you bring an animal for sacrifice, don't just come as a matter of routine, don't just come... Uh, as a ritual, no, come with a good heart, with a proper heart, with a broken spirit and contrite heart. And then God will accept uh, the sacrifice. Now, we may not bring animals to worship, but we do need to come with a broken and contrite heart. What does that look like? Well, Psalm 51. We need to come with that approach. So, my friends, uh, repentance must issue in witness, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and worship, coming with a broken and contrite heart, in order to praise God right. Now I want to conclude with an illustration, and this comes from C.S. Lewis's Narnia book, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's a boy called Eustace in that book, who's rather nasty, so nasty in fact, that he turns into a dragon. In the story, he comes to his senses and he longs to be a boy again. But he doesn't know how. Off his dragon skin with his claws. But every time he manages to peel off a layer, uh, there's just another layer underneath. And then Aslan, the lion, says to him, you'll have to let me peel it off for you. 
Eustace is afraid, but his own efforts weren't working, so he decides to let Aslan remove the dragon's skin. And then this is how Eustace describes his experience. He says, The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I'd done myself the other times, only those times hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then Aslan caught hold of me and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone. And then I saw why I had turned back into a boy. What a beautiful image of complete cleansing that comes through the gospel. Do you need to lay your burden before God today? Are you at a point like King David where you need to confess your sin to God? Where you need to say, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Are you at a point of asking God to forgive you Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Are you ready to witness for God? Then I will teach transgressors your way. And finally, do you want a heart to worship, want a new heart to worship God? Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. If this psalm has raised any issues for you, I'd remind you that at the end of the service, there's opportunity for prayer down here at the front. Also, I'm available this week. If anybody wants to come and uh, make a time, I'd love to give you some time uh, to work through any issues for you. But let Psalm 51 speak deeply into your heart today. Amen. The Anglican Church Noosa is an evangelical Anglican church on the northern end of the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Our vision is living to love and proclaim Jesus. Our core values are being Christ-centred, Bible-based, spirit-led and mission-shaped. If you have found this sermon helpful and would like to contribute to the ongoing ministry of ACN, please go to our website, anglicanchurchnoosa.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening.